Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our show this week, episode 177. I have a heartfelt conversation with my friend, colleague, and business expert, Michelle Marquardt DeVoe. This conversation is all about pricing. We are talking about the feelings, the pitfalls, and the responsibilities we have to price our services properly. A fabulous conversation with so many teacher takeaways right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, welcome, and thank you. Thank you for pressing play. I want to say a heartfelt hello to all my friends and colleagues around the world. And I do want to shout out to uh, some some friends from far away. First of all, I want to say uh, hello to Sarah Torres. Um, she is from Costa Rica. And I'm very jealous right now because in Hemford Forest, Nova Scotia, it is March uh, 3rd. And we are getting um, 30 centimeters of snow. We call them nor'easters. They're big snowstorms, and the kids were sent home early, and swimming was canceled, and our reservations at a really yummy place, and Sean was supposed to perform tonight, but anyhow. Um, so to Sarah in beautiful, warm Costa Rica, hello. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. That makes me so happy that teachers around the world are just uh, enjoying themselves and getting lots of wonderful um information from our show. This show, uh, this show, uh, uh, this interview that I recorded is from um, the summer uh, in Chicago. I had the absolute pleasure to sit uh, in the same room with many of my dear friends and Michelle uh, was gracious to, to join me and I wanted to talk about pricing. I wanted to talk about setting our prices and 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 not feeling guilty and knowing how to calculate prices and all of the things that go on with with building a business that you love. And Michelle is as always um very candid and kind and understanding and really brings a lot of great information into um into the the conversation and I think it's so very helpful. Now, I do want to say uh, to those of you out there who uh, might be really struggling with this, um, and maybe you're just not in a place where you are ready to hear some truth bombs about pricing and setting your business up for success, I totally understand that and respect that. So if uh, if you're feeling that, that you're not ready for this conversation, by all means, I hope you'll come back to it at a time when you are uh, better uh, better likely to receive it. So I appreciate that, that our relationship with money is complex. It's complex on a personal level. And of course, it's complex because we are artists and there's a lot of money narratives going on. So Uh, friend, you are not alone. There are people that can help you. And I hope that you can reach out to someone who can help you uh, find a better place. So without further ado, a conversation from uh, July 2022 at the National Convention with my dear friend, Michelle Marquardt-DeVoe. 
Welcome to the F Full Voice Podcast. I'm doing air quotes because we're in person. In person! Oh my gosh, what? IRL. IRL. It's a full circle moment. Full disclosure, I did not know what IRL was for the longest time, but you and Jen clarified that the other <laughs> evening. So I'm now, I'm no longer... You're like, hip to the scene. I'm hip to the jive, friends, with my, you know, mom pants. This is amazing. This is a full circle moment, Nikki. Mm, we met in, in person. person in Toronto in 2017. That's right. And we did a podcast. At our house, at our old house. At your old house in Hamilton? Yes, and I remember my husband had to like wire, put the microphone wires through the basement window outside. Yes! And it was coming through the window. <laughs> through the kitchen window into the, into the dining room. And then That's the cat kept on sitting in the bowl. Oh, she did. <laughs> I forgot about I love it. that. But here we are, together, exhausted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exhausted, conferenced out in a good way, mm -hmm. like as one does at a conference like this. Yeah, conferences are uh, are a roller coaster of seeing new friends, hug, 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 tears, mm -hmm. uh, then learning, and then trying to find where your room is. This hotel is so confusing. Do you it, find that? Well, I've been here before. Oh, okay, I am a forever lost and going the wrong direction. I'm glad we found this place. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as always, you you have a booth about speakeasy, and you're talking to tons of people about speakeasy. Yeah. But today, uh, oh, and you did a presentation. I did. What Pricing. was your? Oh, you're, you're gonna I was going to say, what was your presentation on? Uh, the title was Pricing for Generosity. Hmm. Um, and then the subtitle was something about impact and peace, <laughs> which I can't remember. But basically just um, kind of the framework that I teach and that we use inside the Speakeasy Cooperative and its uh, programs at large around pricing mm -hmm. uh, so that people understand kind of how the numbers work and then also the other things that go into pricing, kind of the psychology parts of it and the self-loyalty parts and the more dynamic data mm. in addition to kind of the static numbers data. Well, and can we just talk about that for a second? Because, yeah. you know, when you see that question, you know, oh, I'm starting a studio. What is everybody charging? It's not where you go. Oh, la uh, no, last, 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 last. Okay, so I just want to say that again. Going to a forum, asking what people are charging and then trying to determine your pricing is the wrong way to do it. The worst wrong way. Okay. The worst wrong way, especially in an industry that is systemically underfunding itself. Mm, thank you. And in an industry that is systemically undereducated around traditional business principles. Mm. Um, and who is overly saturated in identity being and worth being connected to the money that is made. Mm. Um, our industry really needs to reckon with its feelings around money. Okay. Like big time. It is, it is perpetuating a system of it's just perpetuating people not being able to eat and 
Well, and then you get, I mean, we've all done it. I did it in my year, younger years of teaching. We literally set ourselves on fire, work incredibly long hours, and then have absolutely nothing to show for it. And then when the slightest emergency or you have a couple students quit, you are literally panicked. I know. And then because you're in a panic state, you wind up making some really bad decisions mm-hmm. And you make it worse mm-hmm. because you've turned something, because you're operating on a thread, mm-hmm. you know, and it's interesting, you're, it's interesting to hear you say, like, we've all done it. Mm-hmm. And I think just right when you said that, I kind of had this aha moment where I was like, you know what? I don't, I want that to not be true. I would like to see that. I want in 20 years to be like, hey, oh, I've never done that. Like... Like, that it wouldn't even be a thing anymore. Right. That the level, the conversations we're having around business and money are so much more practical mm-hmm. and um, usable mm-hmm. and impactful because we're not spinning ourselves in knots, mm-hmm. you know, by, by literally not being mindful of the number one tool that we have in order to fulfill our Maslow's hierarchy of needs which is safety, food, and shelter. Right. Food and shelter, you know. And especially now with an economy. Like, people will blame that on the econ- economy. They'll say, well, things are really bad right now for people, and I, I don't want to raise my rates. What would you say to that? When everybody, everybody is, like, raising their rates, and gas, well, our gas in your currency would be, like, $8 a gallon. Well, I mean, in L.A., Los Angeles, it's about $8 a gallon. Right. So people, so we always look at, go, well, the economy's so bad, I couldn't possibly <laughs> charge a living wage, is what they're saying. Yeah. So what do you, when people play that card, what do you say? You know, Nikki, I'm going to be really honest with you. Right now, what I say is, okay. Because if someone is just insisting on being helpless around their finances... I can't, I don't have the energy to like try to convince you that math works. <laughs> I don't know the, okay. Not today. I mean, this is. I want a t-shirt. This is like, I, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't have the energy to convince you that math works on a t-shirt. I know. And I, I know that it's so funny because I do feel a little bit out of character and off brand being so kind of man, kind of crabby about it. But to the to the point it's like you can't i mean never teach a pig to sing it wastes your time and annoys the pig right like you which means you can't you just can't you can't get people to do something that they refuse to want to do themselves mm. and i and i think that if someone came and said i i really want to be able to do this but i'm having feelings about it and i don't know how to do it ethically and i need to do it but i want to do it that is a conversation that I can have very, very confidently, and, and we can work on that. We can work on stretching into solving the problem. But as, someone's, as soon around money, as soon, as soon as someone says, I can't X, Y, Z with money, and I ask, would you like to change that? And they double down on the I can't, then I just let it go. You know, and I, I think that's their agency. They're not in a place where they want to change it yet. Sure. 
And therefore, the amount of education, the amount of math, whatever, I you can't fix that. Sure. So I'm sure that's not the answer you were expecting out of no, me. No, but you know what? I think that's, I think that's helpful because somebody that, that is like, you know, trying to process their feelings, you know, about... Mm-hmm. Because I've thought about that. I've thought about, well, you know, I'm in a rural, smaller province now. If I were to teach in person, which which I'm not going to, like, how would I even how would I even structure my pay? And I, then I went there. It is, yeah. There it is. I was thinking about other things rather than what do I want? How much? How many hours do I want to work? What do yep. I need? What What does my family need? Yeah. What is a number that actually makes it worth my time and effort? But that was my that was my initial response. Is like, well, I wonder what. The prices are here, and I wonder if this area would even like. I that's where I went. It's kind of ingrained in us, and I stopped myself and I went there. Yeah. It is there. It is. I just did that. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting about the pricing because why is it our instinct to say, well, what is everybody else charging? And I think that's a really important question to dig into. Why that's our instinct. And a lot of it is because we've been conditioned to think about money um, and to think about pricing at a really unsophisticated level mm. while at the same time experiencing some, some less good parts about capitalism sure. that, that are very much about like the sale and the discount and the how much do I think I could make question mm. rather than how much do I want to make? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people charge based on how much do I think I could. Yes. Ra- which I think you're always going to undervalue it because you just, you're the awesome one. You're, you're experiencing your own value every day, right? right? So you don't need to pay for it, so why should somebody else? That's an in- you know what I've never thought of that perspective. You're right. Like I've never thought about why that we think of that, and it, but because it, you're right, we don't we don't need her. <laughs> yeah, well, because we don't need what we sell, right? You know, and if you're trying to create an offer that you would need, mm. then that's just silly mm-hmm. because you're probably going to confuse who your client is going to wind up being. No, right. I I wanted to I wanted to share with you you in your in your presentations and I've heard you speak of this before but we need to get our business out of people's pocketbooks right we always oh, that yeah. what is that I didn't say it right oh it's um like just get your fingers get your fingers out of other people's wallets right it's none of your business it's right. none of your business how other people want to spend their money. And I, I just wanted to point out that one of the big takeaways, so we've been in the talking to tons of people and we're in the exhibit hall. Yeah. I have had so many teachers, so many teachers come up to me and A, say, I have all these inquiries and all these people that want private lessons uh-huh. for their kids, but I would prefer that they take the group lessons but the parents like want to pay the private fees and and they are like 
I don't, why would they do that? I don't understand why they would pay. Like, my fees are, like, like the most expensive, and these parents want to pay me my money, my fee. Why are they complaining? Well, that's what I said. <laughs> I said, and I said, yes, that is correct. Pa- some parents... Yeah. Would like to see... Actually, no. A lot of parents are looking for professional voice uh, instruction for their children. And they have money to spend. And why does that make us feel weird? What is that? Well, I mean, do you really want to talk about how um, in Western culture we, like, undervalue our youngest and our oldest population? Is that part of it? I think it is. Well, then that would go to the discrimination against age and, and ability that we have in our industry. Yeah. Right? Ageism can go both ways. Yeah. Right? So kids aren't worth but, but teaching? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just making I this just, up But as I we just find along. this, like, it, the, co- the comments were strange. It was like, it was, so there... I mean, I could understand if, if they would be upset if the parents said, I, I want you to work with my child, but I'm not paying that. That's not what the conversation is. The conversation is they literally have money burning in their pocket and they want to invest in their child. And these people are like, I don't really understand why. I don't think that's worth their money. That's what they said. That's what I'm, but that's I, what I'm right? saying. Why isn't it worth their money? Right? How much do you spend on your kid's stuff? I'm like... I'm going to work forever paying for my ball, my boy's ball. Yeah, I mean, my son is in baseball as well. My daughter is in piano. Um, I don't, you know, so to me, if, if that person came up to me and said that, I think that I would ask, why not? Mm. Mm-hmm. Why not? Unpack that for me, person that's saying this. Why? Why isn't it worth it? And I would invite them to really self-examine their belief there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very interesting when we decide what other people find valuable. Yeah, right? It's not, it's really, it really bugs me because, not only because it winds up hurting the business owner to do that, mm-hmm. but because it removes agency from all of your potential clients. Oh, right. And I also, I mean, and if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, it is a form of inherent bias. Mm. Deciding who has money and who doesn't and what they should and should not spend their money on. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's classism and it's assumptive. Right. And I, I don't think people realize that. Like, I think they think they're being nice. Yeah, well, that they're, that right? we're doing a favor by turning them away. Right, or we're doing them a favor by offering discounts or scholarships or something mm-hmm. um, when that has not been the expressed need. Right. It's called, you know, in the, in the diversity, inclusion, equity kind of philanthropy world, there's a lot of talk, good talk around the concept of felt need. And this is when we're using our resources to meet what are what are felt needs. So an example is, let's say a studio owner is like, well, I serve underclass, you know, underfunded individuals by offering scholarships to my independent studio, mm. right? But let's say you live in a fancy suburban house that has no public transportation that gets to it. 
Mm. The family that wants to pay you that is underfunded may live in an area, may not be able to afford a car. Mm. They can afford the lessons, but they have no way to get there. Mm. So what's the felt need? It's not your scholarship. It's why don't you go pick them up at the bus station? Mm. You really want to do something? Show up to where the need is, not the thing that makes you feel good about yourself. Wow. Yeah. Felt need. I haven't heard that term. Well, I'm glad I got to introduce you to a term because I know that you are very interested in just behaviors. Well, absolutely. I just, I mean, I've always been annoyed by the the discrimination against age and ability, especially with children, and, I, and I, the harm that it does. And, you know, I can appreciate that. Well, I guess, I guess in my studio, yes, I've offered group classes. And I do offer group classes to give families the opportunity to experience what vocal instruction would be like. And I appreciate mm -hmm. that a family may not want to invest, mm -hmm. you know, because they just don't know if it's yeah. something that's going to stick. Like, I appreciate that. And I can also afford, because group classes are very lucrative. They can mm -hmm. be lucrative if you, right. if you price them correctly. If, if, right. I also so but it was an it was a great introductory offer and then but I always had students that wanted to go into private lessons and what was interesting is several of them flat out refused cuz a couple of them were like well why don't we do piano lessons instead of like the private voice lessons mm. and you stay in the class and they were the the girls were like no I don't want that I want this. And I know that there was hesitation mm. for parents because there was something that they were like, uh, you know, and then, but again, it's that whole reassurance that it's not just singing. We're not just singing to karaoke. We are learning music just like you would in piano. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee that if you, she would do singing with me for a year and wanted to go to piano, she would be a very good music reader by the time she got there. Yeah. Right? And that well, seemed to alleviate stuff, right? But that's more of a bias on the parents thing that, you know, piano is, is more of a brain skill than, than singing. Well, and let's be real. I think it's because a lot of teachers don't know how to teach children necessarily. Yes. And they perceive that the child is not able to incorporate sensory and motor function, neurological rewiring, and uh, learning music theory, all of the things that we expect grown people to be mm -hmm. able to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are you serious? It's the perfect time to introduce them to their body and body awareness and self-awareness and moving while they're singing and rhythm. And like there's little unformed brains you can lock in mm -hmm. and a solid ear. If you can lock that in early. Oh, I know. Because, you know, because the research around, like, how uh, children will be able to match pitch with other voices mm -hmm. rather than with an instrument, you know, and then we see that as grown uh, avocational adults will come into our studios who can't match pitch with the piano, but they can if you're singing with them, mm -hmm. you know. So it's interesting to me. But, you know, I think a lot of these things are systemically ingrained into the into the hundreds of years of pedagogy. Mm. Um, that we're in Western classical pedagogy that we're coming up against, you know, just to be clear that that's a pipeline pedagogy, Western classical pedagogy that I'm speaking of right now. Um, 
because in other cultures and in other pedagogies, that's not a thing. Children start singing when they're two, you know, yeah. and you're, you're learning, you're learning all of those things immediately through folk song and through mm-hmm. um, mentorship in song communities and all of this. So I think, oh, I lost my train of thought because you, you really got me going on that idea of like the individual private voice um, I feel like it's, you learn so much more than singing yeah. in a voice lesson. And I, I mean, I say take both, right? You know, if you can, mm-hmm. but wow, the skills that a young person can learn in voice lessons, mm-hmm. incredible stage oh. presence, what to do with your hands when you're talking in front of a oh, bunch of people, I mean, with piano, you can squirm on the little bench, but your hands have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Well, right. and, I, and I appreciate that, that little segue that we did there because, again, that assumption, it's that as- assumption that this isn't where you should spend your money. That's yeah. none of our business. Where, where parents want to enrich their children's lives and the funds that they have or don't have, it's none of our business. Right. Right. And I think that that's, that's, again, our biases get involved in that. Um, there was a term that, uh, there was a phrase that you used uh, in the meeting today, which was uh, people before profit, but profit is necessary. Mm-hmm. I would really like for you to explain that yes. and, and break that open for Sure. Um, so in a business, like just to define the terms, right? People. Sure. Humans, um, all humans that we want to act justly towards and uh, be impactful and create and collaborate with. So that's people. Uh, profit is the not just your revenue that you bring in for your business, but it's after all the expenses are paid, including your salary, whether you are an employee of your own business or you, like you're incorporated and you become an official employee that pays taxes for yourself or you're a sole proprietorship, you know, after all of that, there we hopefully there will be more money left over and that is your profit. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking for more money than we're spending mm-hmm. out so that we can create capital to grow the business, mm-hmm. right? However, that revenue that we're going and going and going for, in my opinion, can only be achieved if you remember that you're making that profit in a service-based business because of the people. You can't only chase the bottom line. What that means is in a profit and loss statement, everyone, if you know how to read a profit and loss statement, literally there's income and then expenses and there's all these line items on a piece of paper and then there's a big red line and then there's a number at the bottom. That it's is either black or and it's red. it's black or red. <laughs> it either has a plus sign next to it or a minus sign next to it. My accountant sends me uh, kind of like a preliminary, you know, hey, I'm working on things, just wrapping things up. And then he always goes, everything's looking black. 
Yeah, right. Love it. It's like you know, and I appreciate that. But I, I've never gotten the everything's you know we're getting into the red or getting anything. Into the red. <laughs> yeah. So that that idea of profit is when we're in the black, which means that you are making more money than you are using mm-hmm. in your business, and um, the bottom line, that number at the very bottom after all the income and all the expenses have been taken away is your bottom line. So that's what that comes from. Um, it's this. It's this idea that you, the thing that will always be most important is your relationship with people. Mm. So that in any sales interaction, in any building of any offer, in any structuring of any business, in any business plan, in any sales and marketing strategy, at the end of the day, you have to remember that there is a human about to give to you a means of exchange for value money Mm -hmm. they are more important than the bottom line however you will not be able to bring the impact you so desperately want to bring Mm. you will not be able to pay yourself what you need to pay yourself you will not be able to grow your business you will not be able to give to important causes that you care about. You will not be able to pass it on to the next generation. You will not be able to build wealth unless you have profit. Mm. It is absolutely necessary to keep yourself going and what you say your goals are around helping the community, helping artists, helping people who need help. Mm So that's what that means. I, th- I think that's helpful for a lot of people because there's always that g- guilt, right? Mm-hmm. That guilt of, of oh, I, can't, I, I have, to, for the good of the community, I have to give away my time and talent. But right? it's, so, it's so short-sighted, Nikki. I agree. It's so short-sighted. And it, it, really, it really makes me deeply, deeply sad because I'm like, you're you're actually making it worse because what you're modeling to the people that you're closest to is that it's okay if you can't survive right that's and you're right that's the message we send to children and to families and that you that that adult people in your life are supposed to that adults are supposed to allow let certain boundaries be crossed in order to be perceived as nice and you teach a child that Hmm. instead of i would like to help you let's create a new way to help you that sustains us both Hmm. if someone cannot pay your rate change your offer Hmm. reduce the scope of service Okay, give me exa- give everybody an example. Well, the of- one-on-one to the group ah, is the right, perfect right. example, yeah. right? So if someone cannot afford your one-on-one, create, and I mean tiny groups, create like groups of three yeah. or four. It doesn't have to be like a 10-person class or anything. Those are terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> especially when with a bunch of like five-year-olds. I used to see, okay, side note. So when I lived in L.A., I used to live in Santa Monica, and I worked in Costa Mesa. Okay. So if anyone is from Los Angeles and you know that I drove the 405 every day, y'all. Every day. There and back. Love me. 
just hold me in your hearts. They know. They know. The people listening will know what that meant. So, um, I survived, everyone. I survived. So can you. So, we used to, I used, I worked for this uh, youth theater arts conservatory. And when I first got hired, they, they hired there, they hired me to teach at the six-year-old acting class. Oh, wow. The five and six-year-olds. Oh, man. They do not read. Oh, man. <laughs> and they, it's like herding cats. And I, to this day, have so many funny stories, a delightful, charming, funny stories about these six-year-olds. And I also like light a candle in homage <laughs> to any kindergarten and first grade teacher that I ever come across. <laughs> and I bow unto them because dear God, it was so hard. It was like 12. And I remember I would read all these classroom management strategies and like um, my mom's best friend was a kindergarten teacher. And I'd like call her and I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she would just be like, <laughs> you know, so anyway, that was that was kind of a funny memory. So if you're going to do five or six year olds, unless you have excellent five year old, six year old classroom management strategies. But you can even do the small group classes like I do. The, I did the sip and sings with my adults. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, so I don't, I we were kind of talking about parents and kids, so that's why I went there in terms of that. But yeah, but that's a great example. It's like, I'm not saying that I can't work with you. I'm saying, I mean, if you really care about people that much, right? Yeah. Create something for them because yeah. they want to pay you. Yeah. And they, I, because I believe that at the, really honestly, I think most people want to pay ethical prices yes to the people in their lives one of the things that came up in our uh seco meeting today was how many of you tell other business people that they are not charging enough yeah and like more than half the room put their hands up and we've shared that in our group like you know this contractor reached out and you know gave me this offer and it was totally not you know a living wage and I you know made them to raise it I do that with I do that with our dear printer all the time I know I, I love it she's and, and you she, pay your composers okay yes thank you for bringing that up yes one of the one of the core values in our company is that our composers get living wages that are and royalties are paid monthly so and and I don't give away their music for promotional reasons so for example i have printed copies of like all the music here at the convention i have paid a royalty for every single one of those copies if i give it if i give it away i give it away if somebody buys it then somebody buys it but i do not play the oh well this is promotional and i'm not going to pay you crap like, I refuse to do that. And when I do teacher training, yeah. we often, like the teacher training workshops, they often include our resources. So it on their monthly, on their monthly re, uh, royalty page, it'll say, you know, promotional copies, this many, uh, teacher training copies, this many oh, people. Oh, great. I like how you break it out like Right? That. And so they can see that this is, a, this is, and then, of course, all the sales from the websites. Yeah. And, in, and 
uh, I don't know if she's listening to this, but Donna Rodenizer often gives me a hard time about that. She's Donna, like, be quiet. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so you don't have to do that. Like, I don't mind if you, you, you know, like you're, you're the one doing all the work. And I'm like, this is your piece of art. Someone is going to take it and they are going to use it to teach and to promote their studio and it'll bring somebody joy. You deserve to be paid for it. Well, a rising tide raises all ships. I love that. Because here's the thing, and I'm not speaking for Donna. Hi, Donna. We're talking about you. We're reverse gossiping. <laughs> Do you remember Elizabeth Barry Carpenter and Kristen Coffee Rondo made up reverse gossiping? And it's when you're talking good about someone behind their back. Oh, I like that. Isn't that awesome? So let's reverse gossip about Donna. So Donna's so great. Her comp- compositions, I sing them. Like, I I download your freebies. Do you? And really? I just like, yeah, I totally do. And then <laughs> I like learn that. them myself. And I'm like, you know, and then I get ideas. Because, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about how I make up silly songs all the time myself. And I'm like, oh, I could write lyrics for Donna. It was so funny. But when you take care of Donna, hmm. Donna feels empowered to be more creative. Yes, absolutely. Which in turn has her writing more for you. Yes, and that's exactly <laughs> what it's done. <laughs> you know that's what exactly I mean? what it's done. Especially, I just want to tell people, like, through the pandemic, like, you know, Donna retired and had years of touring booked. That's how she was going to make her living. And of course, pandemic hit and mm. all of, she lost all of her work. So when we started getting really excited about digital songs and providing yeah. them digitally and she, and, and uh, we, she was getting her monthly, you know, royalties from our website, that woman, every day there was a song in my inbox and I was like, oh, I can't look at it because I know it's going to be awesome. And sure enough, I'd open. I'm like, oh, that's so good. I want to put it out. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it, it's just we think we're we're doing a good thing by not holding our hand out or stating this is what I need to make and we're not. And I, I right. often think about the kids that are going to grow up and maybe do what we do. Yes! Right? Like, yes! Are they going the to set themselves on fire and teach at 800 children and be burnt out by the time they're 25? Because their teacher that they love so much did the same, did the thing. same thing. And it's interesting because this goes back to kind of like an overall general money myth and kind of a money narrative that is passed around in, in our culture, which is, you know, it's this, um, it's money... Having money means you're not nice. Money, wealthy right. people are evil. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a gross, it's a it's a gross misunderstanding of the difference between capitalism and plutocracy and oligarchy. Oh, oh, yeah. That's oh. I don't know if you should put that in the podcast because mm. that'll go. We'll go real deep, real fast on well, that. I we should come back to that. Okay. Well, maybe another, be another time. Episode. Wow. Yeah, but I, I str- yeah, I strongly believe in ethical capitalism. Mm-hmm. I really think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe that there are that there are people in the world who have used capitalism to systemically oppress people. So let me be clear, but I also believe that about like every single other economic model, right? right. Like there's sure. no perfect ec- economic model. Right. What I think is powerful about ethical capitalism is the free market mm-hmm. can be a place 
where we are encouraging creativity, we are encouraging thinking outside of the box, we are encouraging um, micro, like microeconomic systems where people are paying each other for what each other needs at the time and then the businesses that provide the most value and the businesses that can help will usually get more money and then if those businesses are operating ethically they therefore can create more good and put back into the community and back into the microeconomic system right. right and so it becomes like this cycle of you know, it's a Ephraim Lee, Dolly, you know, hello, Dolly, Ephraim Levi. My late husband, Ephraim Levi, used to say, money should be like manure. It's not worth a thing until it's spread around, encouraging young things to grow. Oh, I've never heard that. Are you kidding? I haven't. That oh, is that's brilliant. Hello, Dolly. It's my favorite line from that movie. Well, no, my favorite line from that movie is, you go your way and I'll go mine. You know? <laughs> so, anyway. Um. But it's, I, I think it's an important, I think it's really important that we take ourselves, that we think about business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that we give ourselves the gift of like understanding economics and how microeconomics works because that's what we are. We have micro businesses. The Small Business Administration of the United States mm. says that the, a small business is any business that makes less than $7.5 million a year. Are you serious? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that number. Yeah. So we That was on the website a couple years. It, they could have changed it by now, but the last time I looked at the website. So what we've got to understand is like any business that makes a million dollars or less mm. is a micro business. Wow. So if we own a business that is making $100,000 or less, 50, 60,000 a year, you own a nano business. Wow. You are literally the molecules of the economy Mm. and without Uh you the rest does the rest breaks down because everything else is built in the molecule off the molecules right or of the atoms i guess you know science um someone sciencey fix what i said but do you get where i'm going with this i totally get what you're going well and it was interesting too because the pandemic we see this now with the supply chains being so disrupted right absolutely so and and people are in shock and and it goes to not understanding how how interweaved we are with industries we might not even think about this is a whole other ethical purchasing right Right. so there's the whole movement of ethical purchasing is like do you actually know where your stocks are well, interesting. You, you know what I mean? Like that? Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, what's interesting... As an example. I could, as a publisher, I could have my books printed in China, but I and they would be printed, like, much cheaper. But, A, I would have to print up hundreds of thousands of them. They would have to come to me by shipping containers across the ocean. Yep. And I would prefer to have them printed locally by a family-run business. Right. Like it's just it's yeah, it's it's so funny because I really like this kind of small. It's really cool to watch, I guess. I I don't know if I like it or not yet. I'm so observing and I'm so far enjoying what I'm seeing. But kind of this resurgence of the microeconomy with like, you know, um, people literally making clothes for their friends or, you know, 
I know that they have the whole small business Saturday, but that's kind of even kind of a more marketed version, a larger, a grander version of mm-hmm. what I'm talking about here. But like literally small communities becoming cooperatives, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, this person makes clothes and this person makes bread and this person makes this and this person makes that. And yeah, they're all using money like cash as a means of exchange still. Like it's not really, and and in some, like there's some free communities, like free cycles and stuff where they're doing bartering, like straight bartering. Um, But many people are choosing to buy extremely small Mm -hmm. and spend more money on less and kind of resist the more is better mentality. Mm. Uh, but it's still actually good for the economy because, again, most of the businesses are the nano businesses. Because everybody is going to need to continue to put back into the economy one way or another, whether it's, you know, with your neighbor's eggs mm. or it's the groceries' eggs. Right. And I, I, I would love for music people and voice teachers, you know, our listeners or your listeners that I am now speaking to as well, um, <laughs> our listeners. They're your listeners. Hashtag too. Michelle's podcast too. Um, so I would love people to be able to feel interested and a little bit confident about talking about these concepts Mm. so that when they apply it to their business their identity isn't so connected to their business and they see Mm. that these principles go for any business you would own right you know or um and that oh if you own a multi-teacher studio that's a team-based business it has a different business model with different factors that go into the way that you're looking at the money than if you're a sole proprietor Um, you know, just these kinds of ideas that really allow people to create. I know it's funny because it's like marketing, create the studio of your dreams. But like, yes, create, create the change you want to see in the world, create the thing you want, you can do it. All you need is a little education. You didn't know how to sing when you popped out your mama. But you did. You did, but you didn't. And you know what? You don't, maybe you don't know everything, all the details about business ownership, but somewhere inside of you, you, you know math. Mm-hmm. You know that at some base level, if you want to make money, you got to sell something. Mm-hmm. And you know at some base level, you have something to sell nice. because you're a powerful, trained, engaging human being. And people are looking for you. They need you. Yeah. So honor them by pricing your services properly. That is, uh, thank you. That's a great reminder. And I I'm, I think, uh, I know we've talked about money mindset and, and those in the past, but I think it, this is an important conversation, even with our questionable economies, even with prices going up everywhere. Yeah. Um, prices are going up everywhere in most cases for good reason and you don't you're not saving anybody by not incorporating your reality of what your expenses have gone up to yeah because i mean you got 30 students and you're undercharging and you're fearful to raise your rates and then you have to close your doors because it's not sustainable those are 30 people yeah that miss out on you Mm -hmm. um 
I think it's it's so deeply ingrained, Nikki. Some just those those scripts, the money scripts, are so deeply ingrained in our Western culture that I agree with you. I I could talk. I mean, we could create a whole separate podcast, and there and there are <laughs> there are many yes, podcasts that's true, that's true. that are just dedicated to money mindset mm-hmm. in the musician world. Mm-hmm. We could, you know, that could be a thing. Someone take that idea and run with it. <laughs> and have me it. and Nikki on as your first guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you. Um, I, I do appreciate you taking time away from the Seco booth and and finding some time to chit-chat about me with me about all of this stuff. And as always, you know, although it won't be as fun because it will be back, we'll, we'll have to record. Unless you're going to come to visit us in Nova Scotia. When I have to start charging more so I can afford that $4,000 plane ticket. There you go, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting it in my budget line items for next year right, right now. for it. Trips to Nova Scotia. In That's the, it. In the cost of doing business. Yes. There we are. Thank you, Michelle. We'll have you back. Oh, before I let you go, tell people where they can find you and the Speakeasy. Thespeakeasycooperative.com. Look us up. Instagram handle is The Speakeasy Cooperative. (laughs) Facebook is weird because you know Facebook's weird. So right now it's (laughs) Faith Culture Kiss Studio for Voice and Acting, colon, home of The Speakeasy Cooperative. And then eventually we'll be able to switch over the branding. But, you know, if you're into Facebook, then you know they make you go through rigmarole on on those business pages. And you can always reach out via email to me or my team at hey, H-E-Y, at faithculturekiss.com, F-A-I-T-H-C-U-L-T-U-R-E-K-I-S-S.com. That should be a jingle. Sean, <laughs> you're up. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Nikki. Love you, Michelle. <laughs> Very special thank you to Michelle uh, for that wonderful conversation. And again, it was so lovely to sit in the same room with my friends and have these wonderful, uh, inspiring conversations. So thank you to that. Please, 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 friends, if you know you are ready to work with people who are helping other teachers build businesses, please check out the Speakeasy Cooperative. They are doing incredible work, and uh, I'm very proud to be a member of the Speakeasy. And I have seen transformations. Uh, Teachers from around the world who work with Michelle and her team have just leveled up in incredible ways. It is such a wonderful, wonderful space for people and so many opportunities to participate and learn. My friend, if you haven't already checked out our new website, fullvoicemusic.com, that is where you go to find fabulous music and resources for your young singing students. That is what the team at Full Voice does. We create and and work with incredibly inspired composers and we want to make teaching easier and more engaging for you. So please go to our website, check it out. There's a free resource page and there is a library of incredible music. Please uh, listen to some of the tunes. I know you will discover something absolutely beautiful. As always, my heart 
heartfelt wish for you is happy singing, inspired teaching, and pricing your services so that you can thrive and your community can grow. Have a great week. Thank you.